0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Dan McConaughey. Well, I get to do one of the last, probably the last name of God this morning that we're going to be doing. And it's one of my very favorite. My two favorites I happen to have are the ones that I get to do, which is Kana and this one, Adonai, as you can see up on the screen. (laughs) And, And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at Psalm 16, first off. Psalm 16 will be our departure point. I'm reading from a paper Bible as opposed to an iPhone, okay? <laughs> Psalm sixteen two, And this is David saying this. He said, I said to the Lord, Thou art my Lord. I have no good besides Thee. So the first thing I want to take a look at is, I said to Thee, Lord. So, That's that word, Yahweh, that we all claim to be so familiar with. And I'll share some stuff with you right now to let us know that we're not as familiar with it as we'd like to think. Okay? So, when Moses first encountered that name, and he wrote about it in Exodus, he asked Yahweh what his name was. He said, whom shall I say sent me? And God said, first person, I am who I am. First person, I am who I am. Yahweh is not in first person. Yahweh is in third person. He is. Now, why if when God declared himself his name, he said, Aye, Asher, Aye. The Aye and the Aye is the same. Why is it not the same in Yahweh? So, as we dig into this a little bit, we find out that in Hebrew, the third person, Yah, I won't use technical names, I'll do do a descriptive of it. It's the third person of what we call a static form of the verb. In other words, it doesn't denote motion. It doesn't denote activity, which is what we've talked a little bit about, the rock, Christ who is our rock. He's the rock of our salvation. So when, when we say he is, we're making a statement about his stability, strength, uh, robustness, um, his staying power. But the really neat thing about it is that the second syllable, the way part of it, is what they call a dynamic form. And not only is it a dynamic form, but it's a dynamic form that demands something and a, um, an explanatory next word. So we have Yahweh, he is... And he is actively what? So if we have Yahweh Hireh, Jehovah Jireh, he is and he is actively providing. Now, of the 449 times that Adonai is used in Scripture, Three hundred and thirty-nine of them are associated with Yahweh. It says Yahweh Adonai. He is, and he is actively Adonai. So now we'll jump into Adonai for a minute here to see what this is going to be. It comes from a word Adon, not add-on. You know, it's not an add-on where you like a, um, what do they call it, Uh, in-app purchase. It's not that kind of an add-on. It means Lord, but it's only used that way with reference to humans. For example, um, when Joseph talked about being in the house of his Lord Potiphar, it just refers to that. The word Adonai without a little tilde thing over the, the last A in the word. It's the plural of it. So it means many lords, more than one lord. But there's a little tilde type thing over it every time it refers to God. Okay? So it is plural, just like Elohim is plural. Adonai is plural but it's plural for emphasis rather than for number. It's plural for emphasis rather than for number. And it's quite the word because it's not a name. We say, oh yeah, one of the names of God, Adonai. It's not a name. But it's not even a title only. We use it as a name. It's used as a title, but it's more than that. It's actually the definition of a relationship. It defines a relationship. What's the name of that um, that test that they do on people where they, you know, they have kind of an and they put a blot of ink and they put it together and then they say, okay, what does that make you think of? What is that? The Rorschbach? Yeah, okay. So when you have when you're going through that kind of a test they'll ask you a word, they'll give you a word, they say, uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word tree? No, nothing comes to your mind. Okay. Uh, let's try a more simple word. Uh, I realize my vocabulary is extensive, right? And I'm sorry that I went beyond. So, uh, let's see, what do you think of when I say the word Car. Drive. You never heard the word car. <laughs> Drive. Road. We think of things, right? We, we have associations that we make. Well, the way this word establishes a relationship is by association. Okay? This word Adonai is a tough word. It means absolute Owner. Absolute owner, Lord, Master, Ruler, Captain, Commander. It's the one to whom something belongs, absolutely, and so has the power to decide, dispose, control, determine, release, bind, regulate, protect, and provide. So, with that in mind, what word should we associate with Adonai? How about slave? Absolute owner. A servant, we like the word servant. It's more fun because we get paid for doing our work if we're a servant. When you're absolutely owned, you're a slave. And people say, well, we like the word bondservant. Well, let's think, this is one of those areas where we haven't thought so far. Bond servant. We think of the bondservant. That's the guy who so loved his master that when his master went to release him, he said, No, I want to serve you. Remember that? Is that what's happened to us? What master did we serve before Jesus? The devil. And so when he went to release us, we loved him so much that we said, no, we don't want to go and be Jesus' servant. And we go back to the devil. That's a bondservant. A bond servant is one who returns to his former master by choice when he's released. How many of us actually do want to be a bond servant? It's a tough one. We haven't thought of that before, I don't think. So I think slave is probably the best one. Remember in um, 1 Corinthians 69, know you not? You've been bought with a price. And you are not your own. So we have this relationship that's been established. It defines that relationship. And it exhibits a life commitment. If, that's, if that is the title... And slave is the relationship, master-slave relationship. What is the life commitment that should be exhibited? This is a response item. Hmm? Servitude. Servitude, submission. That's what we're... What are you going to say one? Surrender. Surrender. That's what is expected when we say Lord. Now, we have this translation of the Bible called the Septuagint. It was done 225, 250 years before Jesus came by Hebrew-Greek scholars, 70 of them. That's where we get the word Septuagint. Jesus quotes from the Septuagint more than he quotes from the Hebrew Bible. Paul quotes from the Septuagint more than he quotes from the Hebrew Bible. So we can conclude that it was acceptable to Jesus and to Paul that it's okay to use. And, and the reason I say that is because there are people who say, no, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. We shouldn't rely on it. Well, Jesus did not Paul did. So I think Jesus was actually the author of it, if I recall right. Every time, 6,800 times, that we have have the issue brought up in the Old Testament, the word Adonai is translated with the Greek word kurios, which is the word that is used to refer to Jesus as Lord in the New Testament. So now we find out that this Adonai person is actually Jesus. Now, we have a tendency in our life to pick and choose what we like. And just some questions to think about. Do you know how many times in the Gospels Jesus is called Savior? Take a guess. 25? 25? Okay. Another one? 72. 72. Two times? You're close. Three times. Three times Jesus is called Savior. And the interesting one is in Luke 2, where it says, where the angels came and said, Hey, guys, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So how many times do you think Lord is used to refer to Jesus in the Gospels? About 250. Which one do we preoccupy ourselves with? Savior. Why? Because that's the fun one. That sets us free. The Savior sets us free. Curios Adonai enslaves us. Now, according to Romans 6, what are our options in slavery? And you guys just went through Romans 6. I know Sandy took you through it. I know that you've heard it from Eric and Nathan. What are the options? Sin. We'll either be a slave of sin or of righteousness. There's not a third option. This is a disturbing thing. <laughs> We're either one or the other. A slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. We're either a slave of Jesus were not, were a slave of the enemy. It was interesting in John eight forty four. Well, earlier in John eight, Jesus is referring. It says, John says that Jesus is talking to the Jews who believed. The Jews who believed. So these were Jews who believed, if we can trust the word of God, which I think is a legitimate position to hold. In John 8, Jesus says, You're of your father, the devil, to the Jews who believe. Isn't that interesting? They had chosen, rather than being a slave of righteousness, to remain a slave of sin. They had the option. They were believers. Now, remember, the demons also believe and tremble, so belief is not sufficient. It takes what? Surrender, servitude, submission... The whole thing that this name requires of us if we acknowledge him as Lord. If we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we also acknowledge ourselves as slave. In Acts, you'd think, well, Acts, that's where they went out and evangelized the world, right? Right? Go you into all the world. The next thing that he said was, and you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul went out on missionary journeys. Peter went out on missionary journeys. Philip went out on missionary journeys. And what did they proclaim? How many times is Jesus called Savior in the book of Acts? Two times. How many times is he called Lord in the book of Acts? Huh? Lots. Lots. Yep. <laughs> Wise man. <laughs> 102 times. Wow. So let's just take the whole New Testament. How many times in the entire New Testament is Jesus called Savior? 24 times. Compared to 720 times that he's called Lord. Isn't that interesting? And yet, what do we preoccupy ourselves with? What do we preoccupy ourselves with? What was it that saved us? It was that Jesus paid the price to purchase us, and so we are not our own if we are saved. We are not. Now, We look at things a little bit different. And I may have talked to some of you about this. I think I've mentioned it particularly to the advanced class. And I may have also mentioned it in one of the other things that I did with the uh, classic class. But if you look in the New Testament for what we pray for, the evidence in the New Testament is that well over 50% of our prayers should be Thanksgiving. The next highest number, highest percentage, is glorifying God. The next highest number is praying for others. Okay? But let's think about it. What are the things we pray for most? Direction, protection, and provision. Those are the things that we spend most of our prayers on. Now, in Hebrew culture in Greek culture and in Roman culture it was on pain of death that a master was required by law on pain of death to provide three things to a slave in other words a good master was required to provide three things to a slave can you hazard a guess to what those three things are Protection, provision, and direction. The very thing that we assume he doesn't do for us, and so we have to spend the preponderance of our prayer praying for it when we should be thanking him for it and glorifying him. And I hate to say it this way, it's kind of a difficult thing, but maybe even wasting our time. I don't know. So we, we've got this God who has promised, remember Psalm 16 too? I said to Yahweh, you are my master and I have no good besides you. So if he is good, then he provides. He directs and he protects. And we don't need to do more then thank him for his provision, his direction, and his protection. But we do. It's interesting also the extent of time that is spent on the issue of salvation in, in the issue of salvation in Scripture. 90% of the New Testament is directed at post-conversion Christian life. In other words, the lordship of Jesus. Actually, we get 90% is in growth, geared towards growth and maturity of the slave. 99% is geared towards post-conversion. So 90% geared towards growth and maturity of the slave. And frankly, for us especially who live in the United States that's a despicable position to hold slave. It's really we much rather would be a servant because at least we get paid for it. And yet that's not what we're called to. In fact, if we look at scripture, 24 times in scripture the word slave is translated a servant. By definition, the servant gets paid and the slave is owned and doesn't get paid. And yet, 24 out of the 25 times it's used, it's not translated that way. And if we look back at the history of why the the King James Version was the first one who translated it into that, it was at the time when Christians were so anti-slave... That's when Wilberforce was around. That's when, when that whole anti-slave movement was going on. And so to make a point, the translators thought, it's such a despicable thing to be a slave. That shouldn't be what we call ourselves as Christians. And yet, we're called that more than we're called sons and daughters of God, more than we're called children of God, more than we're called brothers, of, brothers and sisters. It's, the word slave is used more about Christians than any other name. And it's all because we have this God, Yahweh our Adonai. One of the things that I've done in the past with this is point out that that Jesus is not only the perfect master, But while he was here, he was also the perfect slave. In Hebrews, he's described as the one who said, I delight to do thy will. In John 5, 19 and 30, I mean, yeah, 19 and 30, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. In John 12, In John 8 and 12 and 14, he says, I only say what I hear the Father saying. In Matthew uh, chapter 8, the Roman centurion identifies Jesus as a man under authority. A man under authority is also known as what? A slave. when jesus finally came to the point where he was going to die he said not my will but thine so all the way through jesus life he evidenced the life of a slave he was completely submissive to his father i used to think for a long time that that jesus had because he was the son of god that he was very god that he had intrinsic authority Just by virtue of who he was. And then I paid attention to what I was reading one time. And and in Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me. He had no intrinsic authority. Because all authority, if all authority was given to him, how much was left over to be his without being given? There's nothing left over after all is gone. So Jesus had no authority of his own. What authority he had was given. That's a verification of the fact that he was a man under authority. Because the only way that you can act with authority is to be under authority. My son's a policeman, and he, he showed me one time the, the concept that the only time that he has authority is when he's in uniform wearing a badge with his police weapon. That's when he has authority. That's what gives him authority, is to be under the badge. And that's the term that they use. So, in closing, what I'd like to have us think about is what do our lives evidence? What do our lives evidence with respect to this name of God. What relationship do we consider ourselves in? I know of of one fairly well-known religious teacher, I was gonna say Christian Bible teacher but I wouldn't go so far as to say that. And he says, when I read there about Moses when he went up and, and God said I am, I just say, yeah, I am too. Do you think that's the right response to that name? <laughs> I think Moses' response was pretty good. Flat on his face, with his shoes off, because it was holy ground. What, do, what does our life, what relationship does our life exhibit to those around us? Major Ian Thomas used to say that our lives should be unexplainable apart from a man or a woman in whom the Spirit of God is. A servant, a slave of God. So consider some of the words that... that I, I looked up um, some ideas, and then I went to the thesaurus so that I could increase my vocabulary.
1: <laughs> I do that on
0: occasion just before a class starts. so how about the issue that says something like who are you to tell me what to do indicates that we're not under authority how about hard hearted stiff necked turning away idolatry adversarial confrontational challenging resistance contention defiance factious friction abrasive despising, disrespecting, contemptible, disdainful, self-love, self-esteem, self-promotion. We think, self-love, self-esteem, isn't that what we're looking for? No. We're looking for lord-esteem. Self-esteem probably is not the thing we want to pursue in a position of slavery. Self-importance, self-centered Disobedience, lies, deception, delusion, possessiveness, all these things that just sort of really mess us up. Now, I've got a couple minutes here. There's a story about when the United States was at war with the um, Spanish, it's before I was born, so I, it's not something that I'm speaking from knowledge on. Keith Keith might be that old. (laughs) It was actually, I think, in 1898. So that was, what, two years before I was born, I think? (laughs) 1898. We were at war with Spain. I mean, you think about that, now you think Spain. At war against the United States. It almost seems like it would be mismatched. Um, But what they did was they they were um, occupying the Philippines in a war against the United States. And they were occupying Cuba. Now, I can understand occupying Cuba. And they did. They had a full, you know, whatever they call it, embargo of their ships all around there. And the the resistance in Cuba was a general whose name was General Garcia. And he had this group of people that were the resistance that we would, the United States and them would be able to defeat this embargo and open up Cuba and maybe even uh, defeat the enemy, which actually did happen. The United States did defeat the Spanish in that war. But the president, was pondering. He says, man, I have got to get a message to General Garcia. They just, we've got to figure out a way to coordinate this. And so he was talking to his advisors and wondering, how can we do this? They didn't have cell phones. They didn't even have postal system going into Cuba, let alone having to go around the ships and everything. They couldn't use their sat phone. They you know, what, leave a post on Facebook or something. They couldn't do any of that stuff. They couldn't do it. It had to be this worse-than-snail mail. And so his advisor says to him, there is a man who can do it. And his name is Lieutenant Rowan, I think his name was. Is that correct? Anybody here know that one? Okay, Lieutenant Rowan. Okay, since nobody knows, we'll call it that. Okay? <laughs> And so the president said, okay, send him in. So the guy comes in to the office, and the president says, I need to get this message. And he had a, a leather bag, oiled leather bag with a message in it. He said, I need to get this letter, this message to General Garcia. And Lieutenant Rowan snapped to attention, took it and said, yes, sir, and turned around left. Now, what would we have done? Let's think what we would have done. Where is he? That might have been a good question. Who is he? How do I get there? What provisions have you made to help me get there? He went, three weeks later, he brought General Garcia back with him so that they could have communion together with the president. I think that's evidence of a slave. He didn't ask questions. How many of us love to ask questions? It's a right thing to do to ask questions when you need to know. But when you're told what to do, the best thing to do is what? Obey. Usually when we ask questions, it's to avoid something in that case. You know, I say, well, it's time to go out and empty the garbage. Do I have to? Isn't it his turn? I have to walk that far? Is there a a carrier? Can I borrow your car? (laughs) We have all kinds of questions to ask. This guy did not ask. He did not play 20 questions with the president. He just said, yes, sir, and did it. So when God gives a command as Lord, how about we respond that way? If you are a Christian, you've already counted the cost. So the cost is not the issue anymore. You may disagree with me, but I challenge you to find in Scripture where the cost is an issue. We make the cost an issue. But in Scripture, when we say yes to Jesus, it's a done deal. When we accept His delivery from bondage to sin and become a slave of righteousness. What does Eric call it? Um, A predetermined yes. I think that's what he calls it. That means that there's no strings attached anymore. So let's consider our lives. Let's think about it. Have we actually made Jesus our Lord? Or do we use that as a catchphrase because it sounds cool? And we've redefined Lord. We've redefined slave. We've redefined obedience. We've redefined submission. We've redefined surrender to fit our agenda rather than his. So let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the blessing of having been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. And having been reconciled, we now have life and therefore you have set us free to be your slave. And that's what we choose, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellersley Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellersley, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the spirit emboldened and brave. Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.